Today's reading uh, is from Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the spirit of the deep, and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it, according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years, and let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters teem with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea, and every living thing with which the water teems, and that moves about in it, according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number, and fill the water in the seas, and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals. 
and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This is God's word. Ollie, thank you. Uh, thank you for reading that. Apologies, we, we really should read to the, all the way through to the, uh, the end of the first creation account in chapter 2, verse 4. But we're going to take a little bit of time uh, in Genesis uh, over the next few weeks. Uh, some would have begun it looking at uh, Genesis 1 to 12 in home groups. We're a little bit slower on Sunday mornings. It'll be the best part of a term just to do four chapters. Uh, I'm a little bit slower uh, than some. Uh, the word of the Lord is powerful. The voices of babies are powerful, but um, not to the same degree. Let's pray, uh, and then we'll jump in together. Our great God and Father, we thank you for this a very beautiful account of creation that we're meant to enjoy. But Father, as well as enjoying the beauty of what's here, would we in our own lives know that you are the one who made us and would we worship you? Amen. Amen. Now, very happily, last week uh, at the Times newspaper kindly gave away a free ebook, um, which was Brian Cox's uh, book, Human Universe. He's sort of taken the TV series he did and has added in some detail and written it up. Uh, and I thought that was brilliant. One, because I like free things. And uh, two, I thought, oh, it'd be good to read a, clear, a secular version of uh, where the universe came from and uh, a human's place in it. And yeah, he's a very popular, able communicator. So I enjoyed that in the last week. And it's brilliant in many ways. And he's a very able communicator. And there are some parts of it where you read and think, wow. So, as Brian Cox would put it, we appear to live on a perfect planet, in a perfect universe. It feels as if this world has been made for us. And you think, yeah, go on. Um, The earth orbits at just the right distance around just the right star for the temperatures on its surface to be just right to permit liquid water to form. Those temperatures have remained constant, just right for four billion years, just the right amount of time for us to be evolved. He says it's extraordinary. And he goes on to, uh, it gets a little bit dull when he lists the, the relationship between different constants in the galaxy which need to work. And at that point you think, oh, okay, let's skip on a little bit, uh, a little bit here. But all these different constants that have to be precisely right for this world to exist. Uh, somebody else took it and uh, put it in these terms, which kind of works for me. Let's just take one constant, uh, gravity, and its relationship with electromagnetic forces. Uh, and the constant that, main, that sort of holds those two in tension. If that constant were altered by one part in 10 to the power of 40, which I seem to remember is 10 with 40 zeros uh, after it, then the stars would be incapable of forming and I, we'd have, we wouldn't have this planet Earth. To put that in terms we might understand, thank you, um, <laughs> That's roughly equivalent to taking the whole continent of America, the Americas, multiplying that landmass by a billion, and then covering the whole landmass with quarter coins, tempi coins, and mounting them in piles from the earth to the moon. 
And then within that enormous pile, placing one red one. Blindfolding a child and saying, find the red one. That's quite unlikely. That's the point. For this world to exist is extraordinary. So as Brian Cox will put it at the end of this long list of constants and things, what could possibly account for this incredible piece of luck for you and me? It can't be luck. The odds are too long for it to be luck. And at this point, as a Christian, I'm really going, so what's your answer, Brian? Uh, and uh, his answer, which is a fairly common one, I guess, um, is the idea of there's an infinite number of universes. So uh, there's an infinite number of universes in... In what? I don't even know at that point. Um, I was going to say in the universe, but that's not right, is it? Uh, an infinite number of universes. And given that's the case, that this one must exist. And of course, as anyone else who's proposed that theory encounters from the scientific community, a big, large raspberry. Because, well, here's just one comment. Roger Penrose is a mathematical physicist at Oxford. Presumably he knows what he's talking about. He put, says, the multiverse... That is an excuse for not having a theory. It's a myth. It is not science because you cannot analyze it. You cannot test it. Even Brian Cox says of his theory, this is a quite stunning theoretical model. I understand it sounds like wild speculation. So why are we here? When you come and turn to Genesis 1, you've got to say your preconceptions will determine your answer. Daft example, uh, a man who, who dotes upon his wife, adores his wife, cannot see any flaws in his wife. I'm, I'm talking hypothetically, of course, it's not personal. The, um, but a man who uh, adores his wife um, uh, is presented with very clear evidence of an affair, but says, I can't believe it. I just can't believe it. I refuse to believe it of her. I t- but it's, by contrast, you may get a very cynical chap who um, is very uh, suspicious by temperament and all the time is looking for evidence that something's going awry. That your preconceptions when you're presented with information determine your outcome. So you come to this world. Why are we here? Well, some would say, because God made this world. That's why it's so precisely the way it is for human life. Others, of course, will say, I refuse to accept there's a God. Therefore, the multiverse, that'll do. And of course, there's some in the scientific community that that, that go for that route. I I guess most in the general populace would just say, if you said to them, there is a God and you are accountable to him, they'd say, no, 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 there's something out there, isn't there? I saw something on telly that says there's a reason this world existed. Uh, Yeah, but it's just a myth, which you can't demonstrate. So go that route if you want, but your life is not built upon anything evidential. We're in Genesis 1 to 4. Uh, Just Genesis 1 today. It's a stunning piece of prose, the rhythm, the cadence, the structure of it. But of course, it isn't really written to answer the question, how was this world made? 
It's not primarily written to answer the question, why was this world made, although it does. Genesis 1 is here primarily to say, who? Who made this world? That's what it's largely concerned to say. The Lord God did. So there's a million ways you can cut uh, Genesis 1. Let me try these three. God created from nothing. Secondly, he created to reveal himself. And thirdly, he created for us. That's quite a claim. But God created from nothing, first, to reveal himself, second. Thirdly, for us. Let's take the midterm then. First, God created from nothing. Chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 45 times you get the verb to create in the Old Testament. The subject is always God. God, the Lord, creates. He is the author. Verses 1 and 2 seem to act as an introduction to the rest of the chapter. So verse 2, Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then the, if I can put it in these terms, the action of God speaking begins uh, in verse 3. That's when the days begin. So it seems to be, uh, most I think now take it this way, verse 2 sets this up. The earth was formless and empty. And uh, someone who looked at this in the week. The first three days, we may have a little table, the first three days, God is providing form. And then days four, five, and six, he fills an empty world. So you can see it at uh, uh, verse 3. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated light from darkness. He's creating form. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was evening, there was morning the first day. Verse 6, here's the second day. Let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. And similarly, on the third day, verse 9, God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and the dry ground. Days 1, 2, and 3, God takes a formless world and gives it form. It's, it's like a child in a, in a sand pit, sort of gathering all the sand here and pushing all the water over there. Or It's that sort of, he's forming something which is formless. And then days 4, 5, and 6, we go back to the same arena. So on day 4, he goes back and puts lights where he's created form. Day 2, he puts birds in the sky that he's formed, fish in the sea. That seems to be what's taking place, the division between the days. They're parallel to one another. Uh, I think structurally, again, you, verse the day three, you get twice, and God said, and God said. Day six, and God said, and God said. We're meant to see this structure, one, four, two, five, three, six. Okay. So what, in one sense, to all that? Well, there are little details that, again, I, I just draw your attention to. On the, the fourth day, Okay, so God puts lights in the sky. Verse 15, let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. It was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day, the lesser light to govern the night. There are perfectly good words for sun and moon in Hebrew. They get used elsewhere in the book. But here the point is God made everything. Other cultures around would have worshipped the sun as a god and worshipped the moon as a god. Genesis doesn't name them because he made everything. He created from nothing. He made everything. He owns everything. And that includes you. 
and it includes me. He owns us. And that, more than any other reason, is why many will reject this idea of God creating. Because if God has made us, he owns us, we must do as he says. But people do anything to try and evade that. Here's another very, very clever man, clearly, Stephen Hawking. He's, he's brilliant, clearly. He's almost a, a metaphor for, for genius. Um, but here's just one little quote. It was a famous book. He produced The Grand Design. Again, it was taken to task for this one. But here's, here's just one little sentence. Again, I just want to highlight, he's a genius. But not every statement that a brilliant scientist comes out with is a statement of science. So have a look at this one. Um, because wh- Where does the universe come from? Oh, because there is a law like gravity, the universe can and will create itself from nothing. Well, hold on. <laughs> Just hold on. Uh, there's gravity. Gravity is not nothing. So when you say nothing, you mean something. Something is not nothing. That's logically nonsense. You can't say that. Or... Secondly, the universe made itself. What? You can't make yourself. Oh, look, there's a nice cake which baked itself. No. Here's a building which built itself. No. Here's Matt Fuller. He made himself. He was involved in the creative... No. You can't create if you don't exist. It's illogical. Nonsense. It is not acceptable human reason to state that. And every philosopher has read it and said, that gets the big raspberry. It's an excuse. Laws can't create. Or let me put it in the, these terms. Two plus two equals four. That's a good law. Everyone agree? Um, 2,000 plus 2,000 equals 4,000. You know, you can go and run with that. If I have in my bank account, as has been known, zero. The law two plus two equals four does me no good. It is a law, but 2,000 plus 2,000 doesn't magically produce money in my bank account. The only way my bank account goes from naught to 4,000 is if someone puts some money in. Feel free. No. The, um, <laughs> otherwise, to go from naught to 4,000 without anyone adding, well, you'd probably call that creative accountancy. I think that means lying. Laws do not create. Now, I've laboured this a little bit, but just because sometimes I think it's quite easy to be intimidated. Oh, well, we know Stephen Hawking, he's brilliant, and he says that you don't need any creator because, uh, because there's such a law as gravity, the universe can create itself, so there, oh. And you feel slightly cowed, and oh, okay. Or you might think, you know, you might be a character like that who just declares it and says, well, there, there we go, so there is no need to postulate the idea of a creator. Well... I'm afraid that's not good enough. That's illogical. You don't need a degree in philosophy to work that out. You need a bit more. The bottom line is, God created from nothing, which means he created everything. He owns you. He owns me. Worship him. God created from nothing. More, in one sense, warmly, I guess, uh, a truth of Genesis 1, God created to reveal himself. Now, I guess in one sense, the action, certainly the action of the days, begins verse 3, when God speaks. 
And of course, here is the, the, the regular refrain, and God said, verse 3, and God said, verse 6, and God said, verse 9, then God said, it's the same, verse 11, and at the beginning and sometimes twice a day, God speaks. Wow. So here's some things obviously to note about this God who reveals himself. He's powerful. He speaks and continents move. Stars are born. Life begins. Wow. Now, occasionally, you and I may issue words which have effect. These days, we can be very technical, have the Internet of Things, and say, lights on, and uh, lights come on, uh, and somehow Amazon deducts money because you bought a load of light bulbs or whatever it may be. Um, but, uh, you know, we can, but nothing like this. But years ago, I remember um, uh, being on the maternity ward, uh, and my wife, uh, Kerry, was uh, was pregnant and had been there for weeks and weeks, from 24 weeks, and uh, in and out of the maternity ward, all sorts, uh, her life at risk, baby's life at risk, and uh, ultimately came to one night, and uh, we were in this room then, uh, we were there, and the consultant there was who was going to operate, if needs be, was there, and there were seven other medical staff in the room, and you have those sort of bizarre moments, you're slightly panicked, and then you're out of body moment thinking, this is extraordinary, the NHS. It may be creaking, and it may be our fault, because there are eight medical staff in the room uh, just for us at the moment. That's extraordinary. Anesthetists, pediatricians, nurses, etc. And for five minutes, this massive Ghanaian bloke, Mike, who was the consultant, just stood and watched the baby's heart monitor. And everyone was in silence for five minutes. And it was a bit freaky, because I'm thinking, what's he waiting? You know, everyone's just looking at Mike. For five minutes. And here he said, tonight. And everyone left the room. And we're thinking, what does that mean? What does that mean? Tonight, tonight, what? what are we going to operate? What are you going to do? What are you, when? Tonight, what tonight? What, what is it? What? And we just left. It was a very bizarre experience, actually. And uh, at least one of the eight could have stayed behind to whisper what, what that meant and what sort of time frame, etc. But obviously it was tonight. And obviously uh, uh, that was when babies was delivered, etc. But... Um, I remember just thinking, God, you earn your money at those moments in time as a consultant. That's a pretty high-pressure decision with all your peers looking on going, what are you going to do? That's high pressure. But that one word, boom, and everything sprung into operation. But that's just one child. God speaks. And continents come together. Extraordinary. In fewer than 140 characters of a modern tweet, God can say, let us make mankind. It's a better use of your voice, perhaps. Now look, so what at this point? There are many, many things you can say. Let me just mention one, one that struck me this week. The truth of God as a creator is a wonderful encouragement to pray. I was reading through, um, reading through Isaiah in the mornings at the moment. Chapter 37, you get to Hezekiah's uh, great prayer. Uh, Jerusalem's about to be invaded. They're overwhelmingly odds. They've got no pathetic army. There's 180,000 outside going to destroy the city. Every other city in the nation's been uh, uh, raised to the ground. Uh, and Hezekiah prays, Lord Almighty, you alone are God over the kingdoms of the earth. You made the heavens and the earth. Help. Uh, and he goes on. And it struck me how often throughout the scriptures, you are the Lord of the heaven and earth, proceeds, therefore please. 
Because the God who created everything and who owns everything says, pray to me. And if he made all that there is, he can answer your prayers. Nothing is too difficult for him. He took a world of darkness, he spoke, and there was light. Now, the New Testament, Paul would tell us too, Corinthians 4. He does that all the time when people become Christians. Takes spiritual darkness and he speaks and there is light. There is nothing that this God who creates cannot do. So do be encouraged when you pray to him. Uh, we're revealing himself. He's powerful. He takes pleasure. Uh, that's one of the other obvious things uh, in Genesis 1. There's a playful creativity here. He doesn't just make a sun and a moon, but billions of stars. Why not? Verse 11, he makes all sorts of plants and trees, not just one. Or verse 20, God said, let the water teem with living creatures. Loads of them, loads of different things. Variety. How wonderful. We take that for granted, I guess, in our world. Uh, over Christmas, our family watched the, the, the new BFG, uh, Mark Rylance. Very sweet, uh, excellent, good fun. Um, but of course, if you know that story, in giant land, there is one thing to eat, snozcumbers. And they're disgusting. And it's very boring eating one thing. God made a world with enormous variety throughout it. And you read Genesis 1, and you look around this planet, and you think... Wow. You know, planet Earth 2. You watch that with David Attenborough? That is great TV. You know, broke all the viewing figures, etc., etc. Of course it did, because it's magnificent. And of course, I, I enjoy the, the 10 minutes at the end where they show you how they got the camera shots and, uh, and how they set up things for months to film whatever it is, snow leopards. And you think, wow, that's very impressive. And how they sort of come down on parachuting to pretend they're eagles and all these things. Wow, that's all very impressive. But the action is the 50 minutes before that. The creatures, the variety, the crazy snakes going across the sand. The, 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 amazing. God made it all. The variety on this planet. Quite wonderful. The Lord is the artist with an extravagant palette. The architect with limitless imagination. The composer who weaves countless tunes. He is extraordinary. And he's made all sorts of creatures. Not just sensible ones, but funny ones. Angora rabbits. You know... Lizards with frill necks. As if they're going to what, put on Shakespeare productions? What's all that about? <laughs> Variety. Extraordinary. And God looks at the world he creates and all its extravagance and says it's good. Aesthetically, it's good. Morally, it's good. It's good. Oh, he's powerful. He takes pleasure. Uh, and he's personal. He's not a cosmic force. Here is a being who speaks, who sees, who names, who blesses, who wants to be known and made us to know him. So look, God created from nothing. God created to reveal himself, third and last. God created, dare I put it this term, in this way, for us. Now look, the way the account is written, it may frustrate uh, biologists and physicists, but it is designed, I think, to show that earth is created for humanity 
the focus of the account is this earth. And uh, you look at how things get, uh, get described. So um, stars, well, that's quite interesting, but they just get a cursory mention in, in verse 16. When you get to plants in uh, verse 11, they're not categorized by type, as you might want them to, trees, grasses, ferns, but how humanity uses them. They're seeds that humans plant. They're fruit, which you can eat. It's all about how they benefit humanity. The sun and the moon, when they're described, verse 14, what are they for? They're to, well, verse 14, they're to serve as signs to mark times and days and years and seasons. Sun and moon are time markers for humanity. Animals, verse 24. Again, they're not characterized by what do you call them, uh, reptiles, mammals, amphibians, or whatever it may be. But they're described how humans use them. So verse 24, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, i.e. the creatures that you have in your garden, that you raise with you, your sheep, your, your goats, your, your cows, your chickens. Then creatures that move along the ground that you tread on, and the wild animals, i.e. things you run away from. That's how they're characterized as humans see them. The way it's described is for humanity and briefly introduced, but we'll look at it next time, of course, in much more detail. The culmination of this account is humanity. For verse 26 onwards, man, woman, humans get much more airtime, many more verses than anything else. Because in all of creation, God made it all for humans to enjoy him. John Calvin, I enjoyed, he put it this way, after the world was created, man was placed into it like a theater in order to behold and delight in the mighty works of the creator and rejoice in him. Our four little implications, then we're done. Uh, God created for us, one. Therefore, the world is ordered and we can expect it to be. And that's good. That is a basis upon which all scientific empirical research can take place. We can predict times and seasons. We know that the 21st of December is the shortest day and 21st of June, the longest day in terms of daylight hours. And it happens that way every year. Amazing, says Brian Cox. How can that be? That's extraordinary. Yeah, because God has ordered the world. So we can categorize it. Extraordinary. It's an ordered world. Uh, Second B, we're meant to enjoy this world. That's partly why God has instilled it with such variety. And God has given us creation to enjoy and praise him for. Climbing mountains, exploring oceans, painting vistas, composing symphonies. Yes, all good. Because God has made this world for us to enjoy. Christians know it'll pass away, but while we're here, we'll enjoy it. And then here, I guess, are the big ones. Third, we are made to worship him. And as Pete said at the beginning, there is a gulf between the creator and creatures. And Genesis 1 does somewhat put us in our place. Neil Armstrong, of course, famously took one giant leap for mankind. In uh, his uh, biography, he comments after that, that uh, bouncing around on the moon, he says, it suddenly struck me that that tiny pea, pretty and blue, was the earth. I put up my thumb, shut one eye, and my thumb blotted out the earth. I didn't feel like a giant 
For having taken a giant leap, I felt very, very small. Yes, that's right. Compared to the Creator, we are very small. And sometimes we just need to be reminded of that. Sometimes we need a little rebuke, perhaps, as Job got at the end of the book of Job, when we're thinking, well, what is God doing? And why has God done it that way? And I really wouldn't have done it that way. Well, just some of the questions God asks Job in chapter 38 onwards. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Who shut up the sea behind doors? Have you given orders to the morning when it can arrive? He's the creator. He made everything. He made you and he made me. And we're to worship him. He is the author of everything that exists. Uh, And therefore, as author, he has authority. He made, he can do as he likes, he rules. He puts us in our place. And yet, of course, as Neil Armstrong may have theologically gone on to say, uh, as I put my thumb up and I, I cover the earth and I can't see it anymore, I felt very small, and I am very small, and yet... And yet God cares about me still. And he has made us, not just to be creatures to put in, be put in our place, of course. He's made us for him. And even in this account of Genesis, it's not hard to spot the hints of God being father and son and spirit. So right at the beginning, Genesis 1 verse 2, the spirit of God is hovering over the waters, is held distinct from the God who speaks. As we have read, Genesis 1, excuse me, John chapter 1, would remind us also, in the beginning was the Word, the Son, Jesus. Put it in those terms, loosely. Through him all things were made. Here is a God who is plurality, Father, Son, Spirit, who makes a world which we're to play in, to rule in his place and enjoy, and says, worship me, and more than that, join me, know me, enter into the joy of my Trinitarian life, Father, Son, Spirit. Come and know me. The purpose of the world is intimacy with God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Ah, and before the creation of the world, God the Father knew that would come through the death of God the Son in Jesus Christ. But enjoy him. So you read Genesis 1, and it would remind us, look, enjoy God's creation. Do. Whenever you're somewhere beautiful, Mayfair, or even more beautiful, in creation. Enjoy God's creation, but adore the creator. Adore the one who made it. 
Genesis 1 is written, see, when you look upon whatever it is, a beautiful sunset, you say, wow, and praise you. Pray together. Our Father, we pray as we look upon your world, the wonders of your world, we would enjoy it, we would delight in it, delight in the, the blessings of being in a place such as this, the privilege of exploring it, of quantifying it, of labeling it, of, of scientifically examining it. What a, what a privilege that is. But that in doing these things, we would look up and worship you. Know that you made us, you own us, and we owe all that we are and all that we have to you. And you say, worship me, And enjoy me, would we do so through Jesus Christ. Amen.